amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hey, everybody. This is Gray from American Citizens. How would you like to get all of your favorite NBA team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Check out fanessentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team, and every month you get your team's gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to. Each fan box comes packed full with some amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan. Prices start at just $34.99. Visit fanessentials.net and use promo code CITIZENS16, C-I-T-Y-Z-E-N-S-16, at checkout for 30% off your first month. Visit fanessentials.net to get all the essentials you need, U.S. listeners only. You're listening to American Citizens, a Manchester City podcast by American journalists. Sterling. Tight, but he keeps it in, and De Bruyne is there! And it is dead level now. Manchester City are still alive here. Balotelli, Aguero! And now here's your hosts, Josh Webb and Gray Papke. Hello, everybody, and welcome to American Citizens on Blog Talk Radio. Well, that was something. This is Gray, and we're with, and I'm with Josh, and we're going to react to the exemplary performance on Tuesday of Manchester City in Romania, and we have quite a bit to get to. Um, so Josh, let me start with this. I don't think I've had that much fun watching Manchester City play in at least two to three years since Pellegrini's, the very beginning of Pellegrini's first season when they went through that real purple patch right around Christmas. I gotta be honest with you, um, I'm going to take I, this a step further and say yeah, ever. I, I'm going to say ever. I truly am. Like, but, but, but we have self-admittedly said that we're post-takeover, so that leaves us with a much smaller sample size than I'm sure some blues can come up with. But you listen to any blues, regardless of who they are, how long they've been a fan, and they all pretty much unanimously agree that Guardiola is the best coach that City have ever had. This is not something that Blues, you know, banter about, whereas if Pep had come and went to Manchester United, they'd be like, well, he's still second to Fergie or things like that. 
you know, City don't have a long line of of world class coaches. Uh, they do have you know some 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 very great names to draw from, but in their prime, where Guardiola's at, coming off basically you know six straight seasons, you know minus the sabbatical in New York of just pure and utter domination. Um, in my time watching City, I don't think I've ever seen... So I saw a tweet that somebody put out there, and and as flippant or maybe disrespectful as it may have sounded, there was a hint of sincerity in it that I almost agreed with. That was like when I fire up FIFA and play on Amateur. It was stunning. That fourth goal, Aguero's second, with the one-touch passing. I know everyone, you know, the the old joke, it looks just like Brazil or it looked just like Barcelona. It did. It completely did. And, I mean, I have seen some people, both in the media and out of the media, sort of downplay it What with by based on the opposition. And I suppose, no... Stahl Bucharest aren't definitely not the best because team that they're going to play in. But yeah. Bournemouth are crap, and the press jumped all over United's uh, uh, game against Bournemouth, saying that it was absolutely, you know, United. I, I actually heard people, and we know this coming from college football, and, and we heard this for years with, with Notre Dame and Florida State, like, uh, and we still hear it with Miami, that, that the X is back. After one three one win against Bournemouth, X is back. After the largest win City have ever had and the worst defeat that Stal Bucharest have ever had. Now, mind you, teams like Arsenal and teams like Chelsea have gone to Bucharest to play there and never done what City did. My retort, my real quick, my retort to that those people would be. I don't think last year's City side could have produced a performance like that, or the year before, or even the year before, or really any. I just don't think that they would have done that. And I didn't mean to cut you off there. I no, I know. I'm so pissed off by the Bournemouth thing. I'm like, look, dude, it's fine if you want to put Stal Bucharest on whatever, but let's get this thing straight. Stal Bucharest were in a position to make the Champions League. United were not. Correct. End of story. Correct. And I think that you... Look, people will do anything they can to downplay a performance like that. But, I mean, is it the best team that City will play all season? No. Will they face a tougher test this weekend? Yes, they will. But it was just... Like I said, even against an opponent of that caliber, they were losing to championship caliber um, opposition at home under Pellegrini, it was in a completely different universe. So I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, but the opponent... No, I don't care. I understand that Stella Bucharest are not exactly a world-class footballing side, but I don't care. That was brilliant. So the first question, in now that we, since we're going to get into the actual questions now, is is 
is is it a formality now that City are on their way to the group stage? Is it yeah. tie over? I yes. Mean, we're, yes we're, 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 we, we, you know what, though? If Pep Guardiola were to hear this podcast, he'd be pissed. Yes, he would be. Because um, that is in no way, shape, or form the mentality that he's going to take into it. And to be straight honest, this is this is a true story. I actually said this yesterday to somebody. I, I believe it was my roommate. I said, look, the game could have easily been 9 nothing, and I can guarantee you in the post-match speech, for as great as City played, Pep Guardiola will want to know why it wasn't 9 nothing. Yeah. Um, that does beg the question, which I find interesting, what will... How will they play the second leg? I mean, obviously they will not treat it as a formality, even though it basically is. Will some of the out-of-favor players get a out-of-favor? I mean, I know that some of the guys aren't registered, but some of the players who have been on the fringes so far in the first two games, will they get a run out? Or is he just going to say, have at it, boys, give him a hammering? Um. You know, I, I think he's going to play the team that – Pep Guardiola doesn't do that crap. Um, he, he, he wants to win every single game. And, and there's – you know, I was reading this in 442's excellent – like if you haven't had a chance to read 442's long form on Guardiola's 16-point blueprint plan – while I admit that the vast majority of it seems to be just a, a truncation of, of Pep, uh, Pep Confidential, uh, but uh, there are still some fantastic points that, that are made in there. Uh, and, and the underlying point that I think is made in every Guardiola book is that he doesn't do things just for the sake of doing them. There's a purpose for it. And if he's going to run out some youth and some youngsters, it's not going to be just have at it. It's going to be with a specific aim and purpose at developing them into a position or a tactical mindset that they've maybe yet to latch on to. Uh, uh, completely. And it will take time with Guardiola, you know? I mean, you look through the number of sessions that Bayern Munich went through, but I think the thing that we can look at is that a week after Guardiola took over at Bayern Munich, and I think every City fan will remember this one, the 94-pass destruction of City at the Etihad. 94 freaking passes, and it looked like child's play. Last night, for me, like when you read the comments coming across from from that Romanian reporter who was talking about the the COO of of Stal Bucharest, etc., those comments that he made were a complete full circle of every comment that City said when they went and got their ass kicked by uh, Pep Guardiola's Barca uh, right after the Monsieur takeover. Everything that Every bit of effusive praise that City's ownership group could heap on La Masia, the way that everything is run, the way that the organization is run, the way that the, the, the training is handled, every single thing that City heaped on Barca was said about them last night. And it was almost like watching it all come full circle. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think, I think there will be a temptation right now to say that Guardiola's City are much closer to a finished product than they actually are. Um, I would caution against that still because, you know. Nowhere near. Yeah, nowhere near. As if, you, if you've forgotten, then watch the Sunderland game back because that's, you know, it's 
going to come in fits and starts. But um, what I do think is in the second leg, um, I would like to see, you know, you can't replicate actual game experience in a training session. You just can't do it. So I would love to see if Sané is fit by then. I would love to see him. I would love to see, you know, a couple other guys that haven't gotten a run in the league or that the uh, Champions League yet. Because I assume that, again, on, on it's again, we'll talk about the Stoke game in more detail later, but I would assume that... Um, Later, that the team that he will send out at Stoke is going to be pretty similar to the first two teams he sent out, so I wouldn't expect any major changes. That could be a first chance to get a look at some of the other players that haven't really played yet. Um, this is a really difficult question after a performance like that, but who would your man of the match have been? Um... Well, my man of the match would have been uh, Raheem Sterling, but then I went and listened to Asan's new four four two podcast, t- just titled four four two, not not with the the magazine four four two, but the new the new City Watch podcast four four two with with Damocles, who by the way, as Asan pointed out actually have his his UEFA coaches badges so unlike other Twitter couch coaches this guy is an actual coach um and I listened to his breakdown of of things and and I'm starting to feel like Fernandinho for the past year and a half or so has been City's unsung hero and I only think it's a matter of time before Guardiola is saying similar things about him that he'd been saying about Lom, about Tiago. Just those those comments like he's a genius, you know, he understands, he knows when to do this stuff. And you even heard Damocles say that stuff on air. He's like, I knew I knew Fernandinho was a good footballer, but even I didn't know he was that intelligent. And I don't mean not to slight him. It's just until you get a manager with the tactical demands of Guardiola, it's impossible to know how great somebody's footballing IQ is. It really is. Because Guardiola is going to test that. And so my gut answer is I feel like Raheem Sterling was the player of the match, but I would listen to and not at all disagree with anybody who said Fernandinho. Yep, that's fair. I would have gone with Sterling as well. He just, he looks a completely different player. He, and you could see that the the first goal that City scored, the high press, obviously, that a trademark of Guardiola style, which came into play caught out, slow in possession, and he was just right on it. I thought for a moment that he was going to shoot. Um, and I th- he did make, I think, the right decision passing it off, but, you know, y- you looked at him, he was... Quick question, who do you think that was really headed for? <laughs> I don't think it was headed for Silva. Neither do I. <laughs> um, but, you know, all's well that ends well. As, as the commentator said, I think it was Guy Mowbray, um, Nolito would have been furious if Silva hadn't put that away because it was going to be on a plate for him. But um, see Nolito revving up the boot too. I mean, yeah. he's getting ready to run onto that thing and kick it straight through uh, yep. <laughs> the homeboy's uh, skull. There, I forgot the goalkeeper's name. Yeah, 
I don't. I couldn't tell you who any of their players are named. <laughs> we're we're very well informed. Um, but I I, I would have gone with Sterling. Um, and not that he I, he even would have been in my conversation. But um, after last week, I think we both agreed that Nolito was a little eh against Sunderland. He was Nita. Much, Nita is his name. Nita, yeah, Nita is the goalkeeper. But I think we both agreed that. Um, Nolito was not quite on it against Sunderland, and he was much improved, so I felt it would only be fair to put in a word for him. He took his goal nicely, although De Bruyne's pass you took know, out about half the defense. Funny about that is I don't know if you caught that 4-4-2 podcast with Damocles, but, but, but Damocles actually really made a compelling case that Nolito wasn't at all wrong. Like, Nolito actually didn't have a bad match against uh, Sunderland. It was actually De Bruyne and Silva who weren't doing what they were supposed to do. And he went into very explicit detail about what Nolito was doing and how accurate, you know, balls on dead accurate it was supposed to be for Guardiola's system. And I think anybody who watched, we kind of, it wasn't said a lot about Silva, but I know you and I commented that De Bruyne looked like he was just having an off day versus Sunderland. Um, but I, I, I would encourage anybody who hasn't yet to go and listen to that podcast because he made a really, really compelling case for Nolito not have having the poor performance that everyone thinks he seems to have had against Sunderland. I would believe that. It felt more like, you know, he wasn't doing the wrong thing. He was just a bit isolated. I haven't listened to it yet. I will, but I haven't had time. Um... But, you know, I think that the, the fluency, the fluidity in attack was just a lot better. And I, I, you know, if they can keep even a bit of that going into Stoke, I think you could make a complaint that they could have been, like you said, it could have been 9-0 and Guardiola will probably be asking why it wasn't. Um, so I think that they're not going to get as many chances against Stoke and they will need to take them a bit more clinically if they do come. But I think it was encouraging that they had that many chances. Um, very, I think there were a couple instances too, where, and I can't remember who it was, but I called it out right on the spot where I'm like, if he just passes that left instead of trying to go for glory, that that's a sweep in goal right there. There's literally nothing the keeper can do about it. Um, at that point, I think it was already like 4-0. City hadn't yet tacked on the fifth. But uh, there, there was a series of passes there toward the end of the game that ended up in... Uh, I, I'm I'm escaping with who it was. I know I commented real time on it, and I that that to me is always the most important thing is that I'm nailing the commentary right in in real time, not necessarily what a uh, I can't remember at eight o'clock in the morning. But um, yeah, no, I, uh, <clears throat> I I I think there were one or two opportunities that City had where a smarter pass or just one more pass, or even if you want to borrow a phrase from Arsenal, walk it in, and 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 the score could have been a little bit higher. Yeah, and look, I know that, look how nitpicky we are now, though. Yeah, we have to. We're, we're we're trying hard to be critical, but there's not really. Yeah, I mean, we're not trying to be critical, but that's the only thing that you know. I could have. Um, I can't. I couldn't really. You can't really draw any conclusions from the defense in a game like that. They were barely tested, but. Um, 
let's um I I do think that John Stones was the build-up play that was so vital. I mean, you can see the difference because the goals were coming out of the back. Stones had a role in building up a couple of them. One of them, I know, started directly from a move that Caballero started as the sweeper-keeper. Um, so my, my commentary on the defense is more of the fact that they were creating, and that's exactly what they want from them. Yeah, um... I think, too, even in, like, we agreed it was minimalistic Champions League opponents, but even in that game, I think you could see where if if Caballero is deemed the starter, and, and you pose the question, how far behind is Hart? And now, which we haven't even gotten to yet, and I suppose we will here in just a minute, but... um. Even as, I guess you could say, well, oh, excuse me, soda burp, as Cavi played. Um, man, I, I hate saying this, and, I, and I'm not trying to be critical of Cavi, because I really think that he needs to be given credit for stepping up and taking the most of his opportunities. A lot of people who were slated the way Cabby was after, you know, prior to his, his, his heroics in the, uh, in the FA cup, um, excuse me, capital one cup, uh, prior to those heroics, uh, he, uh, you know, he didn't, the guy we can, we can be blunt people were dreading putting him in yeah all right fine let's say it i was trying not to because i got upbraided for for using the word sucked one time but look man i was it's saying, not revisionist yeah, the twitter was it's not revisionist history to say people did not want him playing in that no game. it's not no no and and not only did caballero come back and and put on that heroic performance but even when most people thought that Hart was going to be the guy under Guardiola, literally nobody had Cavi taking his spot and pushing Joe Hart out the door. And yet, here's where we sit. Um, but I will say, just, just briefly, I toss it back to you to get into the Bravo thing. I do think that Cavi's iffy performances at times yesterday emphasize that Against a better team, those could have been disastrous. Yeah, they could have. Gabriel Jesus has scored two really nice goals for Brazil today, by the way. Um, but that's getting off track. Let, let's talk about the goalkeeper thing. I mean, Caballero is pretty clearly, you know, he can sort of masquerade as a stand-in, but he's not the long-term answer, which is why it looks for all the world that they're bringing in Bravo. Um, and, you know, we've talked about, and I know this is for, thank, it's, there's a lot of sentimentality in, in this whole thing because, you know, Joe Hart has been such an integral part of Manchester City for going on a decade now. But I don't, you know, you watch a performance like the one that we got um, on Tuesday against Bucharest, and you have to you're, – you're really going to die – you said this on Twitter. You're really going to die on this, the Joe Hart Hill. Oh, and, and 
instead of, you know, trusting a manager who is making this team look and like what about that? Bravo's performances in the last two Copa America finals against what most people mm-hmm. consider the real number one team in the world in Argentina, mm-hmm. even if they do have their struggles with winning in the major events, like if Higuain were half a competent finisher on the international stage, Argentina, you know, I don't know how much glory they have by now. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, I don't see Bravo. He's not. He's thirty three. He's not going to be a hugely long term solution. But, this is but, a, but it's you're a, looking at two to three years. Forty Bravo. Yeah. Right, Buffon is like forty. I mean, and the guy's still playing lights out. And and I think now what what I would ask you is. Unlike Buffon, which I think, you know, Juventus doesn't play such a physically demanding style of football, nor does Buffon have to play necessarily the role of the sweeper-keeper, though he's completely intelligent enough to do anything. I mean, the guy's just a genius. Um, But I ask you, when you look at what is expected, at least at the energy levels required, and, and... because you, this was brought up in Pep Guardiola's book. He talked about Neuer in goal. And when Bayern were on the attack, Neuer was never sitting in goal. If the play shifted to the right, Neuer was moving up into the people can't see me, but I'm actually moving around my bedroom in a pretend penalty box, mimicking the, the, the movements that Manuel Neuer would make. To to put it quite simply, Manuel Neuer, when he, you know, because he didn't have a lot to do at Bayern most days, uh, but he was always paying attention and always following the action. But if you didn't know what Manuel Neuer was doing, you'd think he was like a child with ADD cutting a hole in the carpet. But in truth, he was always following every movement. And that's how Bayern were able to keep so many clean sheets, is because Neuer was following the play before it happened. So he didn't have to react. He was being proactive. Can Bravo do that in the Premier League? I don't know. And I know that's a cop-out answer. Um, But the the fact is, it's... I don't think Claudio Bravo is Guardiola's ideal. I don't think that. I think that he would have rather had Ter Stegen if he could have had, if all things were equal. But all things are not equal. He would cost too much. Barca are too unwilling to let him go. Um, And Bravo is the more expendable one. So Bravo, they will go with. But I think that he can be good enough to minimize any sort of mistakes and sort of keep play the proper style, the distributive style and that, that guard Guardiola is going to demand. Um, and I think he'll do it better than Caballero. And I think, what do you make of, because I think that this is important too. Now there have been, and I still think that I don't, I normally I would write it off and call it BS, but Given everything you've just said and seeing that, that that some people already feel like Butland may be in a place to take Guardiola or uh, Joe Hart's spot anyhow, what do you make of the latest rumor that, that, that rather than Bravo, 
even though the reports are being said that that he's agreed to a deal for twenty million, what do you make of 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 Butland? being linked with City, or is that just mind games to get inside of Stoke's head before they play him? I mean, they tried to sign him um, when he left Birmingham, I believe it was, that he played at before. Um, but he didn't want to be Hart's second choice, as I recall. That was, And he went to Stoke instead. Um it wouldn't shock me if they had interest. I'm not sure that he's the solution. I don't think it's realistic. Um, but it, 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 it the timing's interesting. I will say that. You're right about that. Um, but I think the I, I do think it will end up being Bravo. Um, although, you know, signing Bravo now doesn't necessarily preclude you from signing Butland eventually. No, it really doesn't. In a year or two, because... Um, if they think that he is cut out for that sort of game, I don't see, you know. Well, and if you're England, knowing that English players have often gotten by more on physique than overall honing of skills later on in life, that's not a, a, I don't, you know, say that about every one of them, just generalizing here, uh, as hopefully not to offend anybody, these are somebody else's words, not mine. Actually, I think they're from the 442 article, as it were. Uh, and, and, and you look at the, the propensity for, for English clubs to rely a lot on physique. Do you think that there may be some motivation for England to look at Butland? And I'm not in any way, shape, or form suggesting that they would interfere. I am just saying that if you're Sam Allardyce, are you maybe talking to Butland and saying, hey, look, if if City come for you, I, I, I'm saying it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for, for you to, to revisit this one. Because now the other latest, latest report that we haven't talked about is, and this goes to something that I brought up on our hypothetical podcast way back when we first started, is that City are uh, there are rumors that City are contemplating using one keeper for for straight Premier League and one keeper for Champions League? Um, I don't know the truth to that. Uh, to me, I I I've said that it seems reasonable that Guardiola would keep two squads. Um, but if if you had Butland and you were able to play him. In, in some Champions League games, or maybe even in some, you use Butland as your, like, Capital One Cup, FA Cup, and you keep Bravo, because it's been noted that Bravo wants to play both. He's off-put by the fact that he hasn't really had the Champions League glory, it's been Ter Stegen. And he wants both, so I can't see Bravo putting him himself in a situation where he's doing the same thing again. But I can see Bravo relenting on saying, yeah, I don't give a damn about the FA Cup or the Capital One Cup. Butlin can have those games. Well, yeah, I think that's I think that's what's going to happen either way. I think that if Bravo comes, the Premier League and the Champions League are his and whoever's the deputy will get the uh, the cup games. Um, But, you know, I think I think that fall in line with your question, though, about a second squad for those games. Yeah, I mean, I it's not exactly a new phenomenon, is it? Um, so I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't think too much of it. I think that maybe, I, d- I don't think signing Butland is realistic. I would be open to it, but, you know, 
he's not going to want to come and sit and just sit there and do FA Cup games either, I don't think. I can't um, imagine why you would. Well, I mean, if you had the opportunity to learn under Guardiola and knowing that that means Hart is out the door <clears throat> and, and possibly even for the long-term future, if you're Butland, it's not... It's not as simple as saying, I don't want to play in, in, in those, you know, cup games. I want to play in some things, and this isn't to dismiss the FA Cup, but if you're a footballer, you don't want to, you don't necessarily see yourself as just an FA Cup, Capital One Cup kind of guy. Right. You know, if you're a footballer, you think, I can be out there. But it's not just that simple. Butland has his eyes on a much, much bigger prize. And that's the number one spot for England. Because there's a lot of glory that goes with being England's number one. And as Hart found out this past Euros, there's also a lot of media attention that goes with England's being number or being England's number one. So if you're training under Guardiola, and granted you're relegated to only playing in, in the FA Cup and Capital One Cup. But that same training has then moved you ahead of Joe Hart for the number one spot in Sam Allardyce's new look English side. Was the move really not that worth it? Because I don't think he's going to get in there. I don't give a damn what Moisey does with Stoke. I don't think Butlin's going to supplant Hart. Even if Hart were to go, like, it's looking like Everton seemed to be where he's, which I wouldn't mind that at all. I think Ronald Koeman, and I think that's maybe why Pep Guardiola is favoring it. He knows exactly what Ronald Koeman's about. He knows that Ronald Koeman comes from the, the, the Croatian school of thought. He knows that Koeman played under Van Hal. You know, these are, he comes from the same family that Guardiola comes from. And so I think that loaning heart to Everton serves everybody's purposes. And I think you talked about this on Twitter yesterday. I think you said it was a win-win for all involved. I just wanted to go next level on it. I think if you give heart to Kuman, Guardiola can get a hint of whether or not heart can actually do this at a much more subdued level and without as much attention as he'll have on him at Manchester City. But if he succeeds at it, then he can bring him back, and you've still got England's number one. If he fails at it, and you're Jack Butland, you know that Claudio Bravo is likely on borrowed time with his age. And if he starts to fall, you know, even a foot out of place, Guardiola does it like he's got to win. It's it's not about sentiment for him. I love the guy, but I've got to win. So if, if you're Butland, doesn't that move? And maybe I'm just trying to talk myself into, uh, you know, signing him. But if you're Butland, doesn't this move make a tad bit more sense than, oh, I'd go play for a big club? I think it makes more sense if he waits here. Because I honestly think that, well, first of all, Sam Allardyce is not going to start playing any differently in England. It's going to be kind of dirty and efficient, I think. And second of all, I think that Fraser Forster will get a look in before Butlin does. If, okay. if, if, if we're talking about, you know, getting a look at another England goalkeeper. I think Forster, I think Forster's ahead of him in the packing order, to be honest. Okay, that's fair. Um, let's talk about Sergio Aguero's penalties. <laughs> because I know that, and this is the the angle that I would posit on this. 
is that, you know, by and large, he hasn't had any problems with them in the Premier League. By and large, he has been as good as you would expect any of your number one penalty takers to be. But he's missed four of his last five in Europe. Is this a mental thing? Is there something about playing in the Champions League games that just added pressure? Is it the bright lights? Is it is there anything to this, or is it just weird coincidence? No, can I be a bit crass here? Go for it. He's predictable. He's too predictable. Sergio Aguero wants to go low into the right or low into the left. Every time I've ever seen him take a penalty, it's almost always low to the right, low to the left. And I actually got into, uh, I don't want to say a, 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 a debate, or actually a fight, I would, I would say debate, with somebody about this on Twitter who said, no, he always goes low and to the right. And I said, are you sure about that? And then I pulled up the article where Mascherano had tipped off uh, uh, Ter Stegen as to which way Aguero was going to go based off their training together. And Mascherano said, I, I, I knew it was going to be either right or left. And when I knew I gave him the signal and then he just went that way. And, I think that for for some Premier League keepers, if if you've got an, a striker who's as deadly accurate as Sergio Aguero, even if it is predictably low into the left or low into the right, if a penalty is so well placed, it doesn't matter if it's predictable. It can't be gotten to. Now, when you up that in Europe, you're not going against Norwich City keepers. You're not going against the Jack Butlins of the world. You're going Nino against Manone. Gigi Buffon. You're going against Claudio Bravo. Well, no, you're not. You're going against Marc-Andre Ter Stegen. So on and so forth. Uh, it, it, you know, in, in Copa, you'd be going against Claudio Bravo. Things like that. Um, I think maybe... It's not, and I said on Twitter yesterday that it was time to get a new penalty taker. I was wrong. It's just time to say that. I was wrong. I was reacting in the moment. I have kind of felt like that, but after some self-analysis, here's what I came up with. I just think Guardiola needs to have Manel Arte work with Aguero on penalties. Like, Guardiola has said time and time again, Manel Arte is the best penalty taker in the world. He's the best. And he said, Manel taught me two things. You have to know where you're going to go with the ball, and you have to believe that you're going to score. Now, obviously, Aguero believes that he's going to score because you don't miss two penalties and come back and score a hat trick if you can't forget about, you know, if you don't have a short-term memory. It just doesn't happen. So that's how you know Aguero's got those skills, but to wrap this up and, and toss to you, I think clearly, in my opinion, he needs to do some work on some level of penalty taking. But like Guardiola said, if the players back him, I don't have any problem leaving him in there. And it was a resounding, he's our guy from the players. So that tells you all you need to know. So I've changed my opinion, and I will state I was wrong. Yeah. Um, I The first penalty in particular looked, didn't look terribly. It wasn't really quite to a corner. It was right in the spot where a goalkeeper can save that. Um, the second one, it looked like he just tried something different, got a little tight, and just whacked it over the bar, off the bar, and over the bar, actually. Um, the other point I would make is if you look at that team <laughs> yesterday. He was as good as Messi. 
<laughs> the the other pro- point I would make is that looking at who started yesterday, if not Aguero, who takes? Because, you know, Silva has not exactly proven to be a convincing penalty taker in the few times he's been given an opportunity to do not so. Not convinced Silva can shoot at all, to be honest. Correct. I would not put him in there. I would not give him that role. Nolito, I don't know. I've never seen him do it. Um, same with De Bruyne. I, the only penalty I can ever remember Fernandinho taking is the one that he missed in the Capital One Cup final, which obviously doesn't mean that he's a bad penalty taker, but again, unknown commodity. Um, uh, who else is in there? Stones? Mm, no. Automendi. I think he's taking him for Argentina. Why don't we get to the guy that we know you're going to name? Yeah. Okay. The only other guy in the team that I know has taken penalties with success is Kolarov. So that's basically your alternative in that team, I think. Um, but, you know, that's that's it. I would not change. I don't know if it's mental, and I agree with you, that he just, just practice a few. I think the penalties yesterday were just bad penalties, and I, you know, I don't know why. I don't know what was going on in his mind. I know there was a laser pointer flying around on the first one. But yeah, I actually didn't see that in, 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 until this morning. I saw the news about the laser pointer, so I, I I definitely will forgive Sergio for the first one. I could see how that could throw off his his pinpoint accuracy. Yeah. So you know, I think, and this will actually segue nicely into our our next point is, you know. I think if you're actually going to make a change, which I think now we both agree, eh, just stick with it. He seems to have the faith of everyone involved. But, you know, it'd have to be Kolarov, who has scored them in Europe before, in fact. Um, let's let's talk about Kolarov. We have spent more time talking about Kolarov since the season started than I thought would be remotely possible. But back at left back on Tuesday, and once again... A success. Who were we wrong? Was is, is this is this a thing? Is this where where words about Kolarov? Because I'm baffled. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm not entirely sure who was wrong about Kolarov, or if anybody was wrong at all. Uh, it's entirely possible that Kolarov has been this good. I saw. Asan retweeted some some interesting points from from Daisy Cutter, and in a snapshot, you look at Kolarov this season and you think, "Wow, Pep's a genius." But then Daisy Cutter flips that around and says, "On this guy's wages, if it took a world class coach to get him playing this well, like I've not changed my opinion." And he said it a little bit differently than that, but I want to keep the rating on this one suitable for work. But he said he can bounce right off, and then he can bounce right off again. Um, he he made several more points. I'll let everybody go look at Daisy Cutter's timeline and, and assess for themselves what they think of them on an individual basis. But I have to say, at a certain point, I found myself nodding at least in ponderance and saying, oh, okay, this is a fair other side of the coin. Um, is it possible that Kolarov has just been lazy the whole time? 
I think that many people and myself included would say yes, because, you know, the the performance last season, late in the season at Southampton was about was still kind of defines him, I think, in a certain way. The whole jogging back and being out of position, not really committing himself, that is basically as unacceptable as it gets. Um, so I, th- I think that, yes, there has been a degree of sort of I, I, the, the word I would use is lackadaisical. And he was far from the only one guilty of it last year, but he might have been the worst offender of them all. Ooh, that's an entirely separate podcast. Yes, it is. But And you know who I put up against him, too. Yeah, well, I just... just I, believe, I believe you commented on his legacy rating earlier this morning, so we'll <laughs> just leave it, leave it there. <laughs> that's, that's a completely fair point, but, you know, I'm just throwing throwing things out in the wind there, basically. But I, I think that maybe there is a new level of commitment, and I'm not really any more convinced that Kolarov is a long-term solution at either left or center back, but I'm less convinced now that he is the net negative that I would have expected him to be if put in this role at the start of the season is basically where I'm at. What what it really comes down to is this. Kolarov has been making a ton of wages, and if, in fact, Guardiola is the man's, which basically are, could be reduced to this, you're going to run your ass off or I'm going to ship your ass out. That's, in a nutshell, what Guardiola says. So now Kolarov doesn't have a choice, right? He can't be lazy or he's going to find himself sent off. And nobody on earth can pick up his astronomical wages. And if he were sent off, based on what City fans' opinions of him were at the time, I'm honestly not sure what they would have even gotten in return for him. And and, and, and how that would have worked with the wages, if you will. But now that uh, Guardiola's in there... and. Kolarov has to work his ass off. We're we're seeing a different, well, a different guy. We're seeing a different man, and and it's working. I, I agree with you that it's not a long term solution. I don't think, but if if guard if if the pep effect on Kolarov is that he can no longer be a net negative, as you phrased it, I'm fine with that. If they, if yeah. that's what City have to deal with for a year or two while they slowly, you know, spend the hundreds of millions it's going to take to get the squad that Pep will eventually want, which, by the way, we've never even had the podcast talking about how many of these signings indicate three years is seems less and less likely as as we continue on with the season. Like everyone, maybe people are just getting hopeful but it doesn't seem like Pep just plans to stay here for three years. The, the guys he's interested in, the guys he's wanting to sign and work with are simply way too young. You know, you, yeah. you have to assume that some of these guys aren't going to hit their prime until four or five years later. Uh, but maybe Pep thinks, no, I'm Pep. I'll hit their prime in two or three years instead of four or five years. Um but I, you know, I don't know if, if like, 
I just simply say this: if if he can't screw it up anymore, then we're good. Yeah, I'm with you there, and I think that ultimately this season in particular, he's going to have to deal with. He's going to have to make use of some players that I think, in a perfect world, he would have been able to replace. And I honestly think Kolarov is one of them. Um, so he's just, but he's going to find there were really a shortage of of fullbacks available. Yeah. In, in, mm-hmm. in the past recent years, like the biggest one this past summer was probably Danny Alves, and he's like what thirty three. Yeah, he's older. <laughs> Not signed to Danny Alves. No, no, no. Even that uh, guy was a defensive liability, anyhow. Yeah, yeah. I, um, but you know, I, you just look at some of the names that I think in a perfect world he would have liked to replace. Then Colorado's one of them, but he's going to find the qualities that they have that he can work with and he's just going to use them. And because, you know, that's, that's why he is one of, if not the best. So I think he'll make do. And I do think that if Kolarov is not a net negative, then they could be doing a lot worse. Um, we talked briefly about cities finishing in Bucharest. Is this, are you concerned? Is this something, do they need work? Is this, you know, what is, the finishing, some of the finishes were spectacular, um, but you know, as we said, even the penalties aside, they could have had two or three more goals than they did. Yeah, um, the finishing is definitely something that needs improvement. But again, I fall back on the fact that, and 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 I know you said this about Nolito. Um, we'll find out exactly how right or wrong you are, but Nolito doesn't exactly strike confidence in you as a goal scorer. Put simply in those terms, not as a footballer, but as a goal scorer. I feel that same way about David Silva. And if at any point in this podcast, people are nodding their heads saying, oh my God, somebody's saying what I've long felt about him. Cool, man. I'm glad I can be the guy that did that. I will never pan the magician because I don't think that you get David Silva because you want him to score 30 goals a game. You get David Silva because he's going to create or damn, if he could score 30 goals a game, that would be outworldly. Uh, But uh, 30 goals a season, rather. But you get David Silva because he's going to create you 30 goals in a season. Um, But in this system he's going to be expected to maybe finish more than he had in the past. And I do think that maybe Nolito and David Silva could probably work on their finishing. And if we're being real, Raheem Sterling can clearly work on his finishing too. Absolutely. I think Silva and Sterling in particular, Silva is never going to be a great finisher and Sterling is still a work in progress. Silva took his goal nicely yesterday, and he can do that sometimes, but, you know, at other times, it's just like... They always seem to be from that side when he takes them, yeah. too. That the, that exact angle. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's the, the left-footedness. It's, it's, it's very... It's kind of strange, because he, on one day, I, you know, you, you point th- out things like that goal he scored in the Premier League against Hull a couple years ago from distance, or the one he scored... Uh, at West Ham, I believe it was. Just spectacular stuff. 
And then you you see him from close in, and he can barely you know he looks like he's trying to pass the ball into the into the net, and you think what what on earth are you doing? So you know I think the best way to describe Silva's finishing is inconsistent, um, and you know sometimes he'll take chances very well, and sometimes he'll look terrible. Um, and you're completely right. He's a creative player, and he's there to set up chances for guys like Aguero and such. But you know, you're I think the 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 attacking players. De Bruyne is a good finisher. I'm not worried about him. But you're right that the others are either also, a work in progress or you know not quite up to standard. I'm also curious now too because. Everybody assumed that Gundogan was going to come in and play the pivot. But Fernandinho, who I had the choice of either him or De Bruyne. See, I always treat myself to to a kit when City has their let's get this crap out to make room for the new stuff sale. It's just my annual gift to myself is, is, is a kit. Not a full kit, because I'd never be that guy. Uh, but but just a, just a jersey. Uh, I had a choice between De Bruyne or Fernandinho, and I asked my roommate, and, and he goes, dude, you've got to go to Dino. And I swear, Dino is making me just think the world of that purchase. Um, I am not at all, and, and, and again, this comes from Damocles, I take zero credit for it, but I am not at all convinced now that Guardiola is going to displace Fernandinho in that role. I think much like Philip Lom, he may have stumbled on to an option he realizes can... Because if you look at what you're asking Gundogan to do in that role, how much does that help his back? And as somebody who takes, legally, OxyContin for his back and, and has the degenerative disc disease, I'm telling you, man, if you've got a bad back, they do not get better. They just don't. So what do you do for Gundogan to limit that? You make him the pivot, which is one of the most physically demanding and, and important positions in, in Guardiola's entire system. Or now, when you realize that you've got the Energizer Bunny in, in Fernandinho, who even, you know, at his 30s, looks is, is an ageless wonder like Bakari Sanya. They just don't run out of energy. And, and Dino has been able to do this stuff brilliantly, just absolutely brilliantly. His range of passing is, is, is great. Is, you know, it's a lot better than people thought it was. I thought he dropped in some fantastic balls, uh, little chips and layovers. Do you look at maybe using Gundogan as more of an attacking midfielder? That's a really good question. And it's not something I thought about because, you know, although I did make the point on Twitter yesterday, you, you watch a performance like that and you realize we haven't seen Sané yet. We haven't seen Gundogan yet, who is going to be, one way or another, a very pivotal part of how Guardiola plays. Um, yeah, he's going to have a bit of a logjam, and it's a good problem to have. But, you know, who do you take out at this point? Um, you know, you, you, you've got guys that uh, Sterling's not going anywhere, especially if he keeps playing like this. Aguero's not going anywhere. 
Um, De Bruyne and Silva aren't going anywhere. I mean, I guess it leaves you no. See, I disagree. I, do you? I, Tell me. I do. I do. Because I think you look at Silva and you, we've talked about the fact that he's not a great finisher. Well, Gundogan's a much better finisher. And if Gundogan can do everything that Silva can do, is younger, maybe a bit more durable, doesn't have a nagging ankle injury uh, like he does, uh, and, 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 and can create, you're not really, you're, you're replacing Silva with somebody who's just as, look, there never be, will never be another David Silva just in terms of his, his ability to play with the ball at his feet. Like, I, I mean, much like most of those Spanish attacking midfielders, Iniesta, guys like that, I mean, they're, they're just such enjoys to watch man it's just like watching poetry like dudes like that are why it is called the beautiful game and i mean that with all sincerity but now you come down to the business of winning and if david silva continuously misfires or mishits do you not look at gundawan and say get up there mate it's you're up David, we're going to work on your finishing. You still know what I think of you. You're still the world. But but maybe I, it's time I find a new role for you. Yeah, I think a lot will be dictated on how people play. And I think that, you know, there might be certain games where, you know, this is a Silva game. And that may, you know, like emphasizing maybe, you know, control in tight areas when teams park the bus or whatnot. Can I just I were I I was just reminded of a point that I would like to make. And it's not really related to this, but my Big mention of, my, mention, my mention of parking the bus sort of in the I I would like to point out Stella Bucharest setup yesterday as an example to the since she's in the news for this sort of thing, the hope solos of the world who believe that playing with 11 behind the ball is cowardice or what have you. Stoa tried to play yesterday. They were putting men forward. They were not parking the bus. They were trying to play. They got torn apart. Perhaps being cowardly would have been in their best interest yesterday. Stop complaining. Learn to deal with it. That's all I have to say about that. But... Um, Fantastic point. And by the way, anytime you want to stop this show to take a, so- a shot at Hope Solo, I'm in. I I just <laughs> think that there are, you, you know, it's funny because we're talking about great representatives of America. And, and, and I guess poor Carly Lloyd missed out on the Rutgers Hall, uh, Athletic Hall of Fame again today. And I don't know what a person would have to do to get it. Like, I guess she hasn't, like, thrown a ball at the right player or, you know, abused one of her teammates in the right way. Because that seems to be the Rutgers way. Uh, but... Yeah, I, my issue with Hope Solo, since, you know, this will be the one time I, I go full American here, is that she's the worst kind of representative. I hate people like that because they are such awful representatives. When people think of ignorant, dumb Americans who know nothing about the game and etc., 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 that's the kind of stuff they're talking about, man. Like... Bucharest do deserve every bit of credit in the world for coming to play. 
And, and I think they knew that they had to live and die by the way that they play, because setting up to play behind the ball against a Guardiola team was only going to probably mean even worse things. As it was, they conceded 83% possession in the first half, and that was them trying to play. So, you know, when when I hear people like Hope Solo call teams cowards, for playing within the defined rules of the game, it makes me look and say, oh, so it's maybe this is the wrong person to put in a sentence with Hope Solo, or maybe it's the right one, depending on how you're looking. Uh, but would Floyd Mayweather be a coward in the boxing ring because his primary role was a counterpuncher? You know, like he sat back, which is why I always thought when he and Pacquiao met, that it wouldn't have mattered if they'd met in their prime. I still don't think the fight would have gone any other way. If Pacquiao is a north-south guy, Mayweather is a guy who sits back, lets his opponent onto him, and then beats the crap out of him for doing it. And it's the same way with Leota Machida in the UFC. That's that's how he got by with it. And if if you play within the rules of the game, I don't care if you're labeled boring. I don't care if you're labeled you know, whatever, that stuff's fine. But the minute you start calling another country, and what really pissed me off is that P.S. Sondage is a former mentor and a coach. And now she's turning around and calling them cowards. As the daisy cutter said, she can bounce right off, and then she can bounce right off again. And that's that's my uh, little much. on her. Yep. So. I, don't, I don't have anything to add to that. I just... And I have been guilty of this in the past, and it makes me a hypocrite, and I openly admit to this, and I try not to do it, because it, no one likes to play against teams that stack guys behind the ball. And, but they're well within their right to do so if they think it's going to help them win the game. They have a responsibility to win the game, or at least do what they can to... You know, Inter Milan won a freaking Champions yeah. League with, I, I think they had less than 100 passes. Mm-hmm. It is ultimately a manager's job to achieve the desired result. And that's, you know, more power to him. Sweden's in the Olympic final and, I just wanted to and make, the U.S. isn't. So Yeah, and I just want to make it clear that this has nothing to do with Hope Solo being a woman. Like, if she were a man and saying the same things, this would be coming out of my mouth. Like, oh, yeah. I written Jose Mourinho's 19th century football line against West Ham or whatever. It yeah, deserves that, that, the exact same criticism. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. And, and my thing with Hope Solo is that this is a person who's who's – in the name, like her and her freaking boyfriend, who oh my god, her boyfriend's a piece of work in and of himself. I've written uh, a colleague of mine, excuse me, has has written about him numerous different times about his charming character. Uh, but they stole the Team U.S. van and went around joyriding drunk in it, and she still has her job. Like. If I stole the Team U.S. van with my girlfriend and went around drunk driving with it, I could expect to be properly thrown in prison. And then she does this crap at the Olympics calling somebody a coward. This is why I... Yeah. Yeah. It has nothing to do with her being her. It has Mm -hmm. everything to do with her being an ass. (laughs) It's a good way of putting it. Um, but to veer back on the topic that I was originally on, 
we're very in a very roundabout way. Yeah, there might be games where, you know, you're playing against a team that's difficult to break down and you want Silva's concise pinpoint passing in the team. Or there might be, you know, a game where you feel someone else, like Gundawan, is a better better suited to play that way. Because they're not going to approach any two games the exact same way. It's just not what Guardiola does. He analyzes the opponent, he figures out how to play against them, and then he's going to get take the players who can best play the game that he wants to play, put them in there. So, you know, I think the talk of, like, guaranteed starters is, you know, and not that I'm saying we, we're not talking about that. We haven't been talking about that at any point. But anyone who does think, oh, guaranteed starter, I don't see it. It's not really the way that this is going to work, I don't think. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think there are any guaranteed starters. And I think that's how we opined uh, prior to Guardiola's arrival that I I felt like this team, and, and, and you see Guardiola's teams referred to this countless times, they're, they're organisms. And different days, your body is going to call upon a different organ to do the job. Some days you need your heart. Other days, you just need that second wind. Other days, you just, you need to have the legs to get you through it. And, and I don't, Guardiola sees football as a living, breathing organism. And whichever organs he thinks he needs to complete Frankenstein's monster is exactly what he's going to do. And I do want points for pronouncing that correctly. Take them, by all means. Thank you. Taken. Very, very literal, literal, literate. <laughs> you can pronounce it correctly. I can't say the word literate. That's where we're at right now. Well, you know. Uh, but but you know you just look at the organism of this uh, of of this system and we've seen how fluid it can be, even with just a simple change like Otamendi, who I thought was very you know again repeating the point that, you, that not a lot of conclusions can be drawn from the defense in a game like that. But I thought he was very tidy yesterday, and I thought you know play like that. Yeah, he certainly wasn't rolling around on the ground. No, he but- seemed to restrain himself. Yeah. Which, you know, if he can I guess do that, he stopped practicing jujitsu. <laughs> if you can do that, then I think we might just have something there. But um, before we wrap this up, let's talk about Stoke a little bit. I uh, not quite a uh, cold, wet Tuesday night, but they are going to be playing the uh, early game on Saturday. Um, this will be tough. You know, and I think I know we said that about this game, and it turned out not to be very tough at all. But I think this will actually be tough. Um, you know, it's a Stoke team that can create. They can, you know, they can get they get forward. They can create. And Stoke, the the Britannia is never the world's e- easiest place to go and play. Um, as you mentioned before we started recording, it was I think two years ago, whatever year it was under Pellegrini was the first time in the Premier League era they'd won at Stoke City. So it's not a place that City have a lot of fond memories of. What are we, is this going to be different? Um, it sure makes you want to say yes, doesn't it? <laughs> um, Look, Stoke, like like you said, they they have a lot of people who can create, and I think the one thing that sticks with me about Stoke is that they're generally just tough sons of bitches. Like, truthfully, 
it's it's a gritty team that I don't like to see because you know you're going to get a game out of them. Uh, generally speaking, it's sort of like playing the Iowa Hawkeyes. Not a team that excites a lot of people, but I'll tell you what. You'd better be right on your fundamentals when you go and play them. Hashtag D-I-G. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're now comparing Stoke to the Iowa Hawkeyes. We've, believe me. We've I, officially done it. As a, as a, as a uh, Michigan State fan, I know all about the Iowa Hawkeyes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you didn't even stop me there, so I know I'm on to something. I go for it. I remember that Big Ten championship game. It was painful, it was drawn out, and it was... Very um, bloody. I can't quite think of the word. Very, very tough. Very. Yeah, good. You, but you know you've been in a battle, man. You, you know do. you you know you've left there. It's sort of like the old Norris division in football, the old black and blue division. Stoke reminds me of a team that would have fit in well in the black and blue division. They just they come to play. They don't have a lot of names that jump out off the page at you in terms of marquee, like like when a city comes to town. But it doesn't matter because they play as a unit. And, you know, Moisey, who, you know... Marquise, you mean? <laughs> oh, yeah, Marquise, excuse me, rather. Uh, <clears throat> Moisey with Sunderland. I'm getting my, our, our, our old friend Mark Hughes. Our old friend Mark Hughes, yes. He he knows City well. And and I think that that... I don't know, man. There's, there's sometimes when I feel... And I know you and I were talking about this off-air. Like, I feel like Klopp's going to have his fair share of wins against Guardiola. And I can't believe I'm going to say this... But I do think that Jose Mourinho is going to get Pep once or twice. Because I think Jose's had to evolve as a coach. He's had to have... Jose is way too smart of a man. Because you don't get to where he's at, you know. Uh, I mean, this guy basically got himself the Manchester United job. Like, between he and Mino Raiola, like... They basically put together this team of Manchester United. Like, do not underestimate the cunning of Jose Mourinho. Like, let's be clear about that. If you can get yourself a job that the United board did not want you to have, you should not be underestimating the man's cleverness. And I and I just think that with Marcuse circling back, he always seems to be like that guy who just, he knows what city you're going to come and do. The question is, does he know what city you're going to come and do with Pep? Because as we sit here right now, I could tell you what I think the starting lineup will be, but I could not tell you the shape, nor do I think it matters. And I could not tell you, uh, uh, you know, what Pep's game plan is going to be until I see it. So if we don't know what's coming, does Mark Hughes? Um, yeah, I don't, in in the battle of managers, I think that we have a pretty clear advantage in this department. That doesn't always mean anything, but, you know, I think that if it comes down to tactics, then, um, then Guardiola is going to outmaneuver Hughes. And on that topic, I think it should be said, we're not going to spend at any point this season talking a lot about, you know, the shape or predicting shape and whatever, because it doesn't matter. 
It's just this. There's going to be a lot of different... well, that, and we're not going to pretend yeah. we have going... the way fit coaches badges. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, can predict the shape or what it's, you know, look, man, I, I've covered college football for seven years and, and now cover the NFL. And at the end of the day, it's still 11 on 11. And both sport, sports are about exploiting space, finding ways to create space and using your opponent's strengths against them in an ideal world. Um, you know, I, I don't pretend to understand everything when it comes to the nuances of footy, but I'll tell you what, man, I've, I've seen and been around enough coaches, players, locker rooms, and, and, and the like to know that this city team looked to be at this particular moment in the early stages of becoming fully invested in whatever Pep Guardiola is doing. And after yesterday's performance, if there was a doubter on the team, he'd been converted. And and I'm just saying that from, from talking to players. You know, not city players, just in general. My 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 lifetime of talking to players. When when you have a new coach come in he installs an entire new philosophy and then you go out and get a win like that. That is what tips players over the age and and say, you know what? I am just going to devote myself to learning everything this man has to know, because apparently I know I, it's like he asks people when they come to him, are you ready to learn how to play football? Yep. That's, that's about right. Um, I don't want to sound dour, but I could totally see this being a draw, honestly. it's I could it, too. It seems like, you know, there, the, there's a term in American sports that I'm sure you're aware of, mm. um, that, that a trap game. Um, and this feels like something that, you know, they went to Romania, they played, you know, Sunderland last week, and I, I could see this sort of being a banana peel, so to speak. I equally wouldn't be surprised if they ran out 3-0 winners. But, you know, I could see this being sort of a gutty, gritty, the exact sort of Premier League game that Guardiola has come to learn how to play. Um, I could see this being that. So, you know, I don't, you know, I think that this will be definitely the most difficult game that they've played. It's definitely, you know, the best attack they will have faced. Because Sunderland, let's be honest, other than Defoe, don't don't really have much to offer going forward, and Bucharest never had enough of anything to be able to even challenge. You know, they were just completely out of the game. I don't. I I think that City will soak up possession, but I think that Stoke will have their chances to get forward. So I, it's a bit of a worry for me. I could see this being, you know, one one or something like that. I'll be interested to see how he approaches it because I think this is the first game that will really be super Premier League, so to speak, for Guardiola to have to deal with. Yeah, I'll keep it short because we've had an exceptionally long podcast, but I I agree. I would just summarize it a different way by saying uh, Pep said he came here to learn. Well, get ready for your first lesson. Yeah, that's about right. Um. So before we wrap this up, I want to say quickly 
our friends in New Orleans. Or not so quickly. Not so quickly. But I do want to get this out there. Um, the uh, MCFC New Orleans, um, well, basically, let me start here. If you've been following the news at all, you know that there has been a lot of terrible, terrible flooding in Louisiana. Um, and they need a lot of help down there. Um, and, ba- and what we've seen in the last... 24 hours or so, our friends at MCFC New Orleans, um, in something of a partnership with the uh, New Orleans Arsenal supporters branch as well, they have been raised, starting to raise funds for to aid in the flood relief down there. And what we're going to do, we will tweet links, and um, we're we're working on some stuff to make sure that this Tonight. gets out. Tonight, yeah. he said he said it when he 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 couldn't get he's the only one at work right now and he said though he wished he could step away he couldn't but he asked if later on today he could text me and we could come back and we'll film we'll, we'll record like maybe a short 20 minute podcast with him a relief fund podcast and and he'll basically fill you in and maybe we can get uh, one or two thoughts from him on, on what he thinks of, of of guardiola but uh we will have another podcast that's going up strictly dedicated to how you can help the flood victims in New Orleans. Um, again, we, we cannot stress this enough. When, when, when Gray and I started this, we were talking about what we wanted to be able to do uh, for you know branch support groups, branch <laughs> not chapters, branches. Um, And we knew that we wanted to be a voice. We knew that we wanted to be a helping hand. And and we knew that we wanted to be someone that they could count on to help them. And this is exactly the type of stuff that we want to be involved in. You know, flood relief, hurricane, we're coming up on that season, man. And we want our chapters, or excuse me, damn it, Josh, branches to get out, get in touch with us. And let us know how we can help you help your community. Um, so I really am looking forward to the podcast special w- with him later this evening. Um, and, and we hope that uh, it'll inspire some of you to to give and help out the folks in, in New Orleans. So, uh, And I must admit, I have a soft spot for New Orleans in my heart. Always have. I, I have several New Orleans stuff uh belongings in my house and uh one of my one of the team moms is is actually from usc who's a very good friend of mine is from new orleans and she keeps me plugged in to uh the new orleans scene with gifts and odds and ends at all times so this is also personal to me because i know miss alvarado has always been just a fantastic woman for me she worked she's there at mcneese state and so uh, I know that her and many others have been, you know, affected by this. So please, please, if you can give. Yeah, well, watch out for that podcast and I'll just be a little short special from us. Um, in the meantime, we will get things tweeted out. We'll share links. Um, and if you can give anything, any little bit helps these the victims in Louisiana. So please um, have a look had it we'll we'll make sure that everyone knows about this um so watch for more from us on that but in the meantime just know our friends in new orleans working on this and they're doing great work so 
hopefully you can spare a little something because these people need all the help they can get right now and any every little bit will be of assistance um before we sign off this one josh do you have anything to add oh man i i, I think we said so much today i'm i'm just i'm really looking forward to this game against stoke to see how city get on when maybe the environment's a little bit tougher um, I think that'll give us uh, an idea of, of what Pep has, has gotten them to believe already. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it, a real measuring stick game, so to speak. So um, watch out for that special. We will definitely be bringing that your way pretty quickly, actually. Um, until then, I'm Gray. That's Josh. You can follow us on Twitter at America Citizens, C-I-T-Y-Z-E-N-S. Um, as uh, we are on iTunes, we still get some questions about that. We are on iTunes, so look us up and subscribe to us there. Um, I'm working like hell to get the damn logo changed. We have a different yeah. logo on iTunes, which we've already submitted three different times, thing to be changed. And I guess because we're not, you know, ESPN FC, that they don't bother to get back to us. But it's a little blue you know background with a white soccer ball that just says american citizens so we are on itunes just don't look for the same logo yeah we're working on it but we're kind of at the uh the the, the mercy of itunes on that one um but we are there we're on blog talk radio and um, we are on twitter as we just said so keep track of us there um so watch for the pod special and until then this has been American Citizens. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With LuckyLandSlots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.